everybody, welcome to the Voxology Podcast. Mike Erie, Tim Stafford, and I'd like to introduce our third guest, which is RSV, which is what I was diagnosed with yesterday. RSV, I didn't know this, is up there with influenza and COVID, and um, so I, I want to, and the reason I'm leading with this is because my brain feels like cement. Oh. I, if, we, if you could use mucus as a fuel to power like cars and cities. <laughs> Just lost all the listeners. <laughs> I, would be, I would be a battery par excellence. Um, You'd be the new Tesla. But we're playing hurt, and Tim's playing hurt too. Tim, Tim had some sort of intestinal thing in the middle of the night last night. So <laughs> really, just keeping everybody in. That yeah. Long. So we're you got to want to listen to this, all right? This is we're not just going to make it easy, guys. <laughs> no. with this Why nice, would we do that? <laughs> rosy intro, and and you know it's so funny because I don't know when like there. There are markers, I know, when I, I knew I was an adult. All right, one of those markers was I started listening to like talk radio instead of music. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm an adult now. You know what I mean? Um, that was a big one. Uh, then, there, then there are markers that you're middle age. Um, and oh. one of those is you exchange and commiserate around health issues. <laughs> and so right before we got on, Tim and I... Tim and I were doing that for about 10 minutes. So it's true. Yeah. We all, WebMD <clears throat> predicts our impending death in the next couple of weeks. So, <laughs> so it's been fun. Yeah. We've had a good run, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Um, Tim Stafford, first of all, <laughs> besides intestinal distress, how are you? Doing all right. Just finished the semester. I got to get my grades in. It's raining and cold outside, which is. More of my forte. Yeah. You have Christmas decorations up, which does that hurt you they at all? Up. Does that hurt your heart? No. To bring light? It hurts me that it's so it brings everybody else so much more joy than the previous uh, holiday, but yeah. It's fine. Okay. I got a nice tree and decorations. I did the outside of the house. Nice. And We're what rolling. color's your house, Tim? It is black. Yep. That's the which, thing. All it does is highlight the Christmas colors. True, and it's a really cool. Like when you when you first told me you were painting your house black, my 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 first thought was, well, of course he is. My second thought was, I wonder how that looks, and then I saw it, and it looks really sweet. Yeah, people um, were skeptical. I I think there was a lot of skepticism uh, from the neighbors, probably. It's um, pretty holy, though. Have you seen all those like beautiful old like churches in Sweden and Iceland, different places that are hundreds and hundreds of years old, and they're all just completely black yeah and empty yes exactly <laughs> so no that's fantastic so so tim and i the the voxology podcast is so important tim and i are playing her today so that's right if there is accidental her heresy, on a saturday and we're recording on a saturday if there is accidental heresy um there is i mean there is intentional heresy no <laughs> yeah. question but if it's accidental heresy just give us some grace today and you know, whatever. So we hope you guys are doing well. Um, last week, we recorded an hour before the Ohio State-Michigan game. Um, and it was a good thing we recorded before that and not after. Because after, it was a dark week. I actually started feeling the RSV symptoms after the loss. Right up the game. <laughs> so I don't know. That could be coincidence. 
So it's been a dark week. Um, I'm not great at laying around. So I've been literally in my house by myself. Well, Seth was home with me three days because he has it too. Um, but it's just been like, I don't do well when I'm just, you know. So I had to turn on some Christmas music. My wife came in and was like, why is every single light on in the house? And I'm like, because I need it. I need, I need light, <laughs> life. Um, but today, what I thought we'd do is we have got, we got so many emails from the last couple of episodes. And they're, they're wonderful and they're honest and they're heartbreaking. Um, and so I thought, okay, there's maybe one more bit we could do on this topic that fits um, and uh, in response to some of the emails. And then, and then we got an email that, that doesn't fit into that sort of lamenty disappointment with God category, and I thought we'd start with that. Um, but we got it from one of our, our Patreon listeners. Oh, and speaking of Patreon, by the way, it's December. And um, yeah, and for some reason, there are some incredibly generous people who um, do year-end giving. And, uh, and, and every year we have people who um, give generously to Voxology at the end of the year. Uh, we want to remind everybody we are a 501c3 nonprofit. We are crowdfunded, so we don't, you know, we don't rely on anything else but um, the, your support. And everything you give is tax deductible, if that matters. If you're in that kind of bracket where that matters to you, then that is good news, um, indeed, <laughs> besides the good news of Jesus. Right. So this is someone from Patreon who um, wrote in, just wanted to say that you guys rock. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for all the time you've invested in this movement. <laughs> we spent the first few minutes establishing how hard we rock. Dude, we do rock hard. <clears throat> Absolutely. I've been deconstructing and reconstructing uh, what I've believed, and your words have been very formational throughout. So that's either good news or bad news for you. I'm not <laughs> totally sure. I find myself, I found myself in Nashville this weekend and stopped by your church and really enjoyed the service. And if hey. I didn't, yeah, if I didn't meet you, I'm sorry. Um, do you have any words of wisdom for someone looking for a church to call home? I'm based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And Doggone it, one of the things we get most asked is, hey, do you know of any good churches in X, Y, or Z? And our answer is almost always, no, we don't. So that's that's a dream someday that we put together a um, kind of a uh, index of churches that are um, that align very with hard to some verify. of the things we're talking about. Well, that's why we're going to rent an RV, oh, Stafford. Like we can visit... Um, we could visit 104 churches a year. <laughs> we'll call and it so, breaking, breaking good. That's funny. Yes. And <laughs> we may sell, we could sell merch mm -hmm. uh, out of the van. It'll be great. Or tacos, either way. Oh, I love tacos. But one of my favorite questions to answer is, what do you look for? What should you look for in a church? And, uh, and the reason it's one of my favorite questions to answer is because my answer keeps growing and changing over the course of many, many years. Um, and, and it keeps narrowing to be really honest. So Tim, I, I gave this some thought. I've got a few, can I lead with these? And then, uh, that I want you to chime in as, as we yeah, go. Dog. Yeah, dog. Yeah, dog. So 
First of all, um, when we talk about a church, we're talking in this instance about an organized like institution that does weekend services and ministry programs and so on. Because you're part of a church, obviously, already, if you're a follower of this Jesus, and I know you would know this, but just making that kind of important theological point. Secondly, I would no longer go... It used to be, for me, I would go to churches based on how good the teaching was. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I don't mean orthodox. I, I, I mean how relevant or entertaining or profound it was. And it had to be, you know... Um, it had to be relevant and biblical and whatever else. These days, I think that's one of the worst reasons to pick a church. And, and, and I'm not saying that good teaching doesn't matter. I'm saying the universe is flooded with good teaching on the interwebs. You can find Bible knowledge anywhere you want to go. Just go to the go to Bible Project. Um, you know, there, there's just there, there's so much good stuff. If if you're a part of a great community. And the community checks all the boxes, but the teaching isn't that great. I think that's a, a horrible reason not to plug in because that that is one of the most uh, that's one of these days the the least important. And I don't mean if it's I'm talking about within the bounds of like the loose bounds of orthodoxy. I'm not talking yeah, about if it's abusive teaching. Yeah, yeah, flee, flee. Nice. <laughs> but I'm talking about it's it's you know straight. Like, like straight down the road stuff, and it's gentle and it's humble, but it's not, you know, it's not um, um, totally charismatic or you know incredible to listen to. That there's so much out there that is like that's not a great reason to not participate. You know what I'm saying? That I think that's mm-hmm. different now. Yeah. Um, but here's some things that are non-negotiables for me. Now I'm not saying. And Tim will have his own. I'm not saying these should be non-negotiables for you. Um, and Nor am I saying that churches that don't do the things aren't real churches or aren't real Christians. I'm not saying that at all. But I, this is like, if I'm going to invest in a community, uh, money, time, energy, passion, relationships, these are the kinds of things I'm going to look for that for me, just me, are non-negotiable. First is that there is shared leadership, that we, that there's not a CEO model that where one person holds all the power, yeah. where there are uh, built into and baked into every every like level of the church are checks, balances, mutual accountability, reciprocity, mutuality. Um, if there is a, the church is driven by a single charismatic leader fully, and I used to be that kind of person, yeah. um, and I've just seen how not healthy that is for the church and the person that's designated the charismatic person. So shared leadership, number one, and shared leadership for reals. I don't mean like, oh, here's my executive pastor and here's my, and all of these people are just, you know, hired by the senior leader and report to the senior leader so they don't have real power. We have to have, shared leadership means other people have real power and seats at the table. Second non-negotiable for me is that that includes women. At every level mm-hmm. of leadership. Absolutely. I think there is something, we've talked about it. I think the Bible totally allows for it and encourages it. And I think wisdom in these days about how gnarly everything is, wisdom demands um, we have women at, at every level of church leadership with real power. Um, thirdly, 
transparency about money and power. I don't mean like we. I, I don't mean that you know you're you're up there and they're talking about money every week or whatever. And here they put the little thing in the church bulletin that says, "Here's how short we are." But they explain <laughs> the priorities for how they spend money, and that they're transparent and their budget matches their explanations, and they're transparent about how power works. Who can fire the charismatic leader? Does the charismatic leader have job reviews? Not just reviews from um, his or her pals at the top, but like in 360 to 360 degrees, right? Is there? These are the kind of things that I'm so interested in because of of, of the all the abuses that are out there. Um, this is a little one, but a big one. If a church talks a lot about itself, did you see the memes that went around there? Like, if Jesus could do an undercover boss and go into your church, what would he say? Oh, snap. Dude, okay, we need to send you in. That would be really funny. That would be really funny. Churches that don't talk a lot about themselves. So the 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 theological point is the the announcement of the church isn't how great the church is. The announcement of the church is the kingdom of God. Yeah. And so I've been around churches and been parts of churches that will celebrate their birthdays, their anniversaries. They will tell their origin stories. They will um, talk about how fast they're growing and how they're running out of seats and how big and, and important their programs are. And they will say, Jesus gets credit for this. But the focus is how great the church is. Yeah. Flee. <clears throat> Flee. You want to be around a group of people who don't care how great the church is. Um. You want to be around um, a church that's centered set in all the ways we've talked about. It's gracious. It's humble. It's curious. It doesn't always have to be right. It keeps the main thing the main thing. It doesn't draw boundaries every opportunity it gets, and it doesn't engage in culture warring. Um, one, two more. There's room for disagreement with leadership and authority. Disagreement isn't a threat. That the leadership is secure to 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 or the teacher or whoever is secure to be questioned. Yeah, and we've gotten emails from that even this week, and yep, Twitter was flooded with it too. Mostly women asking what seemed like very gentle, clarifying questions, getting just pushed Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Um, two more. I was mistaken. One is a very gentle use of power. Mm. Um. Is power top down um, in that instance, and then joy? Is there is there joy? And then my secret, my I've never I don't know that I've mentioned this, but my very secret sign for church health is: Are there therapists that go to the church? And um, if there are, that always makes me feel better. So notice I didn't say anything about believing in the Trinity and the Virgin Birth and. And because I've been around churches that say yes to all those things that are awful, and I've been around churches that are really fuzzy on those things and yet do a great job of loving people. Yeah. I'm always, and we say this all the time, theology absolutely matters. Good theology does not save us, it helps us. But bad theology really does harm us. Yeah. So if you find a centered, set church, you're going to find clarity around the most important things and lots of room to disagree around the lesser important things. So that would be my list, Tim. What do you want to add to that? I think you nailed it. I think for me, transparency and humility are 
really big. I'm so burnt out or I was, you know, have been so burnt out by churches with like extravagant green rooms that the higher ups hang out in before the services or between the services and create a hierarchy between the people. Ooh, that's good hierarchy. Yes. <clears throat> I don't like that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the way they treat each other and the congregants. I, I've been going back and forth. We have a lot of friends who are like, and I don't agree with this necessarily, but we hear it quite a bit that they don't trust anyone who makes money doing ministry. Like pastors shouldn't get paid. All pastors should be bivocational. And yep, yep. I understand the impetus of saying that. Um, I think it's hard to expect anyone to get trained or to go to seminary if they are not going to be. Yeah. If there's no career path or whatever stability within that kind of thing. But I, um, that would change. I mean, if you, if you like, if you wanted to change, dramatically the face of the american church that's the one thing you could do it would be it would be something i don't it know what something. it would do <laughs> yeah but it would be something that um i don't know I, there's i didn't write any of this down but there's probably a hundred things that's why i don't attend a church currently but i can't stand things that are done for the sake of just doing them without context or meaning or value or depth or yeah. explanation or anything. So, and I see that a lot in churches where they just have a lot of rhetorical devices that they'll use over and over again. And it's like, why are we here? And why are we doing this? Right. And what does the church look like in the community at large, not just in the building, but That's good. Yep. how do they exist within your town? Yeah. And if it's in complete active service and you see that church everywhere, like, people volunteering and doing it with joy and being getting their hands dirty and doing it because they care about their community. I think that's pretty healthy. Yeah. And we have some churches in our town that are like that, that Absolutely. Are one, one of the reasons I lament the, that mega church coming in is our churches and pastors who all see pop up all over the place that they are trying they're like their intent on serving their community Yeah, and trying to be there and help people in need as much as possible. And that's, to me is very inspiring. Absolutely. So I don't know. It, I don't know it, how you find that stuff because people really, really denounce church hopping and I understand why, um, but it's hard to find. It can be very hard. It can be like a needle in a haystack sometimes yeah. trying to find like the... Well, and it's not always readily apparent. How somebody no. uses power, that doesn't show itself in like the new member luncheon. Well, you see it the most in the LGBTQ community because there there are so many folks who are looking for churches. I right. want to be a part of a church, and I'm not welcome in most churches. Right. And then so you have churches who lead with "we are," whatever, and then once they get in the church, it's like, no, it's not how it is. Right. Right. And so totally. we hear that lament over and over and over again. This miss, like they want to get people in the doors. Yeah. Uh, but once you're in there, it's a different. Yeah. It can be a very different. Now let's give some disclaimers scenario. because it's kind of like I've I've read. <laughs> senior pastor job descriptions that could only be filled by Jesus. You know what I mean? Like they're just they totally so we don't want to we don't want to present that's a fascinating conversation. Because oh it is totally. Um but we don't want to present uh that there is this ideal out there um because Opposite. even the earliest churches were screwy. So so <laughs> this is <clears throat> This whole picture I'm painting, it's a continuum, and the, and and there are, there are churches that get some of these things and kill them and then struggle in other places. I think the most important part is to find a place that's gentle that uses power, 
um, uh, very gently. Doesn't exert power over, but yes, power to serve. It power to serve the power to invite power and weakness. Totally, I think. I mean, if I if I had to, and again, I'm not even speaking like theologically. I'm speaking in the American church and how ugly the fruit of what we've done is exposed. Like we have to look for those dynamics, and it takes a while. I don't consider that church shopping. Church shopping is when I'm evaluating a church solely on the basis of whether or not I liked it. Right. If if but if you the should music be, hit right or yeah, yeah, did I like? I mean, you evaluate it the I same inspired? way. Inspired. Yeah, you'd evaluate it the same way you'd evaluate a movie. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, I'd see that again, and it's like no, 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 it's not for you. But there, there are I think markers that are. Um, markers of health that churches grow into. So we're not trying to describe the perfect church. There is no such thing. And I'm willing to flex. <laughs> That's a good preface. <laughs> I'm willing to flex on on some of these things. Like if a church is, a church says, um, hey, we're, we hold this issue differently than you, Mike, but we're, it's okay that you hold the view that you do. Great. I don't have... Well, what did you used to always say when you planted the Vox church? It was... Um, if we can agree on who Jesus said he was, we can break bread to, or something yeah, to that effect. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. It's the centered set, you know, modality. I don't have to. I, I could go to a reformed church, even though I'm not reformed, if it was reformed in the right way. I could go to a charismatic church, even though I'm not totally charismatic, if it was charismatic in a gentle way. Um, uh, the, I, I really appreciate, and this might not be for everybody, but I really appreciate leadership that, um, and maybe this is part of the transparency and the humility that when they learn that they were wrong about something, it's just like a, oh, I was wrong, and here's like new information has come to light. Like I'm gonna, yeah, I'm yeah. going to change because I've learned, and I don't see that a lot. There's a lot of arrogance, and I think out of fear of losing a platform or losing congregants yeah. or losing your job or whatever. And I understand that that's a scary thing, but the transparency and be able to say I was wrong and I've learned. That's why I like Peter. So I always come back to Peter. I always think Peter's yeah. fascinating because he'll like, yeah. he'll be kind of staunch about something then he'll be proven wrong. Like, Oh, this is the, this is the true way. Okay. I got it. Yeah. And he'll go yeah, yeah, like yeah. with the centurion or like, you know, it's like yeah. the, yeah. there's just these stories where he had to learn continually, continually. as you know, a very high up leader and, or whatever, however you want to phrase that. Right. Was continually learning and changing course because he was just like, he was a disciple, like yeah. through and through. He had to learn a lot and it often would take three times of telling him for him to really get it. But yeah, he would change course. And I, I, I like that in leadership. I like leaders who are just like, I, I, I learned something else. I changed my mind. See, that's, yeah. It's so funny, Tim. We do, we do Q and A's at the end of, I, I think I've talked about this, at the end of our talks and I consider myself um, a semi-intelligent person, and I, and I'm 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 usually quick on my feet and um, can do Q and A, okay. But there are questions that our little tribe comes up with, and I don't have the foggiest clue. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't I don't know, and. And I, that the response that I don't know generates is so f- much more significant than the great answer. Yeah. Um, to prove your point, that people aren't really looking for the great answer. Um, and, and so, 
And I sometimes they are, but sometimes they want to be invited on the journey with totally someone else. They're like, I don't know what the answer is. Let's figure that out. Let's. Find well, it I out. just I, I remember in my younger days, which you know weren't far back, I would I would feel a pressure to always have to have something to say. Absolutely. And if I knew it a little bit, I would I would inject more confidence in the answer than what I probably had. Well, if you're a good orator, you like are able to also twist those words around and give a response that sounds like you're addressing the question, but you're not. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So I just want to remind people, um, the reason I have a long list is because I've, I've done all of those things. Like, I'm guilty of all of those things. Yeah. Um, I've, you know... I've always had a heart for the church. I've always had a heart for Jesus, but I inherited a way of, of seeing the church that really fit my personality as the singular, charismatic, important leader. And, um, and there, there was part of my ego that really loved that. And, um, and then I realized how absolutely shitty I was at that. It brought out the worst parts of me. It's so hard. Like, how many pastors did we talk to at the non-friends, and I've had coffee with a few since, that <clears throat> want to steer the ship in a healthy direction and want to change and want to learn and grow and be, like, obedient disciples to what Jesus is seeking and asking for, and they get fired. Yeah. There's a fear, oh, a, a, a very real fear that's backed up by real proof. stories yeah, yeah that this is what happens and it's like that can be so coming in like you know when you came in what a couple decades ago or when someone comes into it and the machine is built in a very certain way and you have a very specific uh role to play within that yeah like you either adapt or yeah. die <laughs> yeah well and you have I, that a, sounds really dramatic but it's like well and you have a financial interest yeah. that's the that's the that's the extra part see if you were bivocational, then some of these pastors would have no trouble just walking away going, well, exactly. I'm going to go do this other thing. And some of those coffee dates that I had were like, I went to seminary. Yeah. What else am I going to do with right, my, I have right. children. my whole what training. What am I going to do? Yes, yeah. yes, that's, yes. I can't, that's terrifying. Yeah. Yep. I've wrestled with that. I, I've applied to the post office. <laughs> I thought that would be that would be a fun job. I have a very one of my best friends just uh, stopped being a worship pastor and became a, a postman. Yeah, and he's very happy right now. Yeah, yeah. Or UPS. I thought about UPS because you wear shorts all year and you're just <laughs> slamming those trucks everywhere. It's beautiful. Um, one last thing. There was a we were talking about Black Friday stuff and kind of capitalism in my classroom and. Um, I'm talking about certain people that were pushing back against uh, the structures of like Shane Claiborne's been very like, just, yeah. hey, don't spend any money today. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about a company like Patagonia. I think it was Patagonia a couple of years ago. Like they have been really pushing the go outside, be outside on Black Friday. Like don't spend money on us. Go out and be outside and be in nature. And yeah. And the guy sold the company was trying. He like kept trying from what I understand. I'm sure I'll get emails that tell me I'm wrong or that wasn't Patagonia. But that's right. That's right. Um, something to the effect of like trying really hard not to have a really successful brand in that way yeah, and trying to really push communal and environmental things. And I will often think of that guy when I was thinking about churches uh, or even your buddy um, that we had on from uh, the church, uh, Gibbons. Gibbons, yes. Kind of like the, 
almost like I'm not trying to build a mega church, but I'm such a sincere person. Right. People are drawn to me anyway. And <laughs> just trying to deal with that yeah. tension of like, I'm not trying to be Elvis. Right. But at the same time, yeah. Uh, yeah. when I'm doing things well and loving people well, people want to be a Sometimes part of that. Sometimes that happens. You got it. Yeah. You bet. One last disclaimer, because this is all, you know, greatly rehearsed. And so, <laughs> no, uh, I don't know. I don't know how you would put this, Tim. But my impression, based on our conversations, is that we are both still very, very positive about the church. In other words, I, um, I, I'm obviously a part of one and will always be a part of one. Um, now, the... the Part of one can look a thousand different ways, right? That I don't just mean like attending a service when I say part of one. But I have loads of hope because I've seen in like in my personal experience the goodness of some of what it is that we're talking about, you know, that, that it really does make a big difference. And so I'm really hopeful for the church. I don't, I don't, I think the the um the abuse that's coming to light is a good thing. I think that the Lord is, I, I do think Jesus is behind the exposing of all of this. Um, and, and I don't mean in any direct way. I mean, he's not like, but but I mean, in the sense of this is something that Jesus wants for his church, his church to walk in truth and accountability and humility. And there is so much the American church has to repent for. And the problem is the more and more we get exposed to the callousness and the disappointment, um, the harder it is for the world to receive our repentance, our lament, and then our guidance on anything. Why, why would they trust us? Why would anyone trust us about, hey, here's how you should use your money, or here's, well, here's how you should take care of your body sexually, or whatever. So... That's the part I, I really grieve, is that I'm still very pro-church, I'm very pro-Jesus, I'm very pro-Bible, um, and I I do think like what we do matters. I really, really do. I think churches matter, and what's going to save the church in America uh, are mediocre churches of around 80 people. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the future of the church, and it's going to be awesome, um, and... Uh, so anyway, those are my thoughts. The great question. I just anytime we get a church question, I kind of get fired up. Um, <laughs> we here at the First Church of Golgotha are yes, very hard. Tim, to... you're starting to get requests, dude. I need you right now to put it on air that you will find that quote, that you will make a sticker. I have it right here, actually. All right, but I will and and make a sticker. But I do like in the deconstruction part of my quote unquote deconstruction process has been trying to like really pick apart why why do we gather right and and understand what jesus what was the what was the human plan from the beginning and and then how do we partner in that and if i so i have tremendous hope in jesus and tremendous hope in the plan that jesus put forth and what he's trying to reconcile and do with humanity um, I have much less church. I have hope in the churches and the body of believers uh, learning how to. That's what I mean. Hear that, see that. Yeah, I don't mean. I, the organization. I have much less church in the brick and mortar. Yeah, but I even that's tempered with like 
like what you said, I think the 80 person, I remember being, a, um, I was on a traveling worship team and we'd go around to all these different churches, all like different denominations, all like different sizes. And um, one of the ones we went to is in, like out in the woods up in like far Northern California. And it was probably 50 to 60 people maybe. Huh. And they had one, one or two microphones and that was it. Um, in a very small room and what they would do during the prayer time of the service is they put the mics in the middle of the like walkway aisleway and people would just get up and share and then they would pray in real time with people and everyone knew each other and knew each other's lives yeah. well yeah and they just existed together and then fought together not fought like they fought for each other within not against yeah. like institutions but for like yeah just well-being in yeah. life yep and i that was 20 years ago or more i don't know it was a while ago but i am still affected by what i saw with that group of people like there was something happening in that room that was so intentional and so based in truth and not in again rhetoric or yeah um anything other than just like loving each other in the name of jesus and trying to model that well within their small little community and i was totally. like man this is this is really inspiring i love that and i don't and i haven't seen it much since then no no but you don't because you only see you know, the Driscoll's and the Chandler's and different people that are really loud and all over the news. So you only see the car crashes. You rarely see the the person who's bringing food to people's doorsteps. Or Absolutely. Whatever, so. Totally, dude. And, and we just have to acknowledge they outnumber everybody else. Even though they're not the loudest voices, they're the most. I've just, I'm just, I'm, I'm around too many good Jesus people who like are genuinely trying to work this thing out in all of yeah. the best, best ways. And it, and it doesn't mean perfect. I mean, that's golly. I mean, there's gotta be room for us to grow in our understandings of how to treat LGBTQ people or. Well, that's the center set, right? Like it's that, a posture. Well, that's, it's, if you do it right, that's the thing yeah. is that you're, you, you've got a collection of people together who aren't at the same place and that yeah. that's okay. And that being yeah. at the same place, isn't the goal. Um, and some of the people that think they're right by the well really aren't. I mean, you, you did a <laughs> heck of a diagram illustrating that back in the day. Anyway, anyway, thank you for that wonderful, wonderful question. Um, I want to talk just uh, just briefly, and then we're back, man. We're back. We got four, at least four more Revelation episodes. We've got two on judgment. And then the world has ended. And then we've got two on new creation. So we might be done. And then we've got a John Mark Comer interview in a couple of weeks. Um, he's, a, he's a dear friend. And then, yeah, that'll take us through the year, bro. We'll, we'll be done. Hey, I have a question for our audience. Um, I have an idea for our next series that I'm not going to share because I haven't shared it with Tim yet. Oh. But I'd, <clears throat> what is there anything you'd want to talk about? I'd be interested to know. And um, and so if you want to email us at hello at Vox Podcast, and I don't mean necessarily questions, but like topics or pieces of the Bible or whatever, I'd be interested to know. We've been doing this, by the way, we forgot to celebrate our eight-year anniversary because we don't want to yeah, talk a lot about thing. ourselves. But um, eight years, dude. So we've done a lot of this, and we are still amazed we get to do it every week. It's such a freaking privilege. But... Um, I don't know if there's something burning in your heart that you say, man, these clowns ought to give this a shot. We're in. <laughs> Hello at voxpodcast.com.
or All start right. a conversation on Facebook or something. See if we we can do a poll. Whatever, go on. No polling. I want. No polling. I want blue sky. I want out of nowhere. I want the person that says we should really talk about aliens, and we probably won't. Oh, I'm but so what a down. great oh. idea! Oh, well, maybe we will for our next Halloween, next year's <laughs> Halloween episode. We'll have we'll have Tim Stafford do a live report from Area Fifty One. Oh, that sounds if we amazing. Bought, we need to buy a Voxology RV. So you know how the prosperity teachers have private jets? Our, our requests are so much smaller than that. We would just like a luxury RV to travel around, to go to churches, rate them according to an arbitrary scale, and to interview people, <laughs> and it would be awesome. This would, that, this would actually be a blast. I think I texted you and our mutual friend when I was up in like Eureka. I was walking around and I was just like, it would be so much fun to just like experience the American church as a whole oh, and just travel around oh, the country and like make best. a documentary or something out of it while we're doing well, it. Well, what we could do is, do you remember Mystery Science Theater? Absolutely. Like have, have three of our heads watching <laughs> sermons. I mean, again, this is horrible and whatever, but it would be funny. All right. That's what we do in our free time anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, there are, there are, yeah. My algorithm loves to give me sermons um, on Instagram. All right. So I want to talk this, this episode, I want to talk about the hiddenness of God. Ooh. And um, I encountered this, this is a intellectual problem. Um, I have a grad school degree in philosophy of religion, and the hiddenness of God, I, that was one of my thesis uh, topics, was the hiddenness of God. Uh, if God values our belief so much, then why doesn't he do more to ensure it? Um, but but it's also a pastoral problem. Like, how come I, I don't feel God's presence? My son, Nate, wrestles with this one all the time. Like, it, uh, you say that God's there. I believe he exists everywhere. But how come I don't feel him or mm-hmm. see him or sense him? And it's that pastoral bit that I want to just talk about. It. And, it, and it fits because it's part of the God who disappoints everybody. It's part of disorientation. But mm-hmm. I wanted to pull it out as its own separate thing to say that the experience of not experiencing God is very normal in yeah. the text, and that we should never draw conclusions about God or about us from that. So the Bible calls this the hiddenness of God. Why does God allow us to feel his absence, even though intellectually we know he is present? Right? I think we'd all agree, those of Jesus, he never leaves us, he never forsakes us, he never abandons us. Um, we intellectually agree that he is everywhere, and that it's not like God shows up when, uh, like, we use that language, hey, God really showed up. We've talked about this before. God doesn't show up. God is everywhere already and always at work. So it's not like, hey, God was off doing something else. and We had such a great, you know, worship chorus that he showed up. Um, or like we take Jesus to some unreached people group. What a load of nonsense that is. Yet, in the Bible, we talk about God's omnipresence. He exists everywhere. But also, we talk about God's manifest presence. Manifest presence is where God reveals his omnipresence in a way that human beings can perceive. So it's 
the cloud on top of the mountain or the pillar of fire in front of Israel. It's, it's the, um, um, it's the, uh, oh, what are, what are other examples? The, the glory of the Lord filling the temple in a way that everyone knew. So we distinguish between his omnipresence, which is he's present everywhere and at work, and his manifest presence, showing that he's present in a way that we can perceive. And that happens, right? I mean, there are times even in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus will kind of unveil his glory, like the transfiguration, and you're like, oh, oh, there's a little more going on here than just some you know, peasant from Galilee. So, um, so the question we're asking isn't, is God real? That's a great question, but that's not this question. Nor are we asking, is God present everywhere? That's a great question. It's not the question we're asking. We're assuming that God is real, and we're assuming that God is everywhere, and we're assuming that God can and does manifest his presence in ways that human beings can see that he's there. Why doesn't he do it more often? That's the question we want to wrestle with. Does that make sense, Stafford? Yeah. All right. I already have a bunch of questions just from that. <laughs> just from that? Yep. This is, this is the great gift that you are, my friend. All right, so let me let me... Some of this can sound really cliche, and I'm even cringing as I'm anticipating some of my, <laughs> some of my. So, have you ever been around a cliche that is totally a cliche until you experience it, and then it doesn't become a cliche anymore? It becomes something deep and abiding and true for you. Probably that's what some of this is for me. So I've gone through seasons where I've experienced some of these things, and I'm not sure I describe them in the same way now that I would have back then. But seasons of intense dryness, uh, the felt perception of God's absence, you know, there are seasons where the Bible is alive, prayer, like, dude, I see answers to prayer, like, just, like, screaming off the page. Um, I don't know if that metaphor makes sense. Um, I've, I've really felt, or what I thought to be the presence of God. And then there have been seasons where all of that is absent. The Bible doesn't make any sense. It's dust. I'm not interested. You know, worship, nothing. And so um, the first thing I want to do is talk about how in the scriptures, this is a normal part of life with Yahweh and Yahshua. And so um, just, a, just a brief sort of, and, and we're acknowledging on the one hand, God can't hide himself. The heavens declare the glory of God. Mm. Right? God, this is a, in Dallas Willard's words, this is a, a God-bathed universe. So in, in one sense, God can't hide. But in another sense, he can hide his manifest presence from us. Make sense, that distinction? Mm -hmm. So Isaiah, right in the middle of talking about how, how powerful God is and how God is real compared to the idols of the nations, he just has this line where he says, truly you are a God who hides himself. And you're like, that's, that's really interesting. And in the Psalms, you get 12 times, nine of these in the Psalms, where God hides his face, it says. Psalm 10, why do you stand far off, Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? How long, Psalm 13, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not forget, reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? Psalm 44. 
Right? We would call these psalms of disorientation, of course. But there's an added juice to them. It's like, God, you're actively hiding from us. Yeah, right? I don't just not see you. You are... You're hiding, yes. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. It's not a passive, yeah. Exactly. Then you have the, the hiddenness around Jesus' coming. I mean, the Christmas story is so overexposed, we just don't appreciate how dumb and ridiculous... <laughs> It is, right? Here, here is, uh, she, she was probably 11 or 12, Mary was, and she had no family name, no relatives of note. She's uh, literally a girl from nowhere doing nothing who is nothing at all significant. You could not find a weaker vessel in ancient Judaism. She's not male. She's not a priest. That's why it's so interesting that Luke starts the Christmas story with Zechariah, who's in the temple. He's a priest. He's older. And he gets struck mute uh, because he doesn't believe the promise of the angel. Where Mary, who's the exact opposite, she's young versus old. She's female versus male. She's not a priest versus him being a priest. She accepts the, this promise of the angel. It's just this beautiful thing Luke does to even set up the dynamic throughout the whole rest of the story that God is going to use the hidden, the lowly, the easily overlooked to fulfill his purposes in the world. And that's the whole Christmas story. But think about how hidden Jesus is. We know nothing about the first 30 years of his life. We know nothing about how he looked. We know nothing about what he sounded like. We know nothing about... Um, his relation with his parents other than one episode when he was 12 that's weird. Yeah. Right? We know nothing about his dad after that one incident. Uh, we just know his dad isn't around when Jesus' ministry takes off. And then when his ministry takes off, Jesus is doing it in this really hidden part of Israel, in this hidden part of the Roman Empire. And he's doing it in a way where he's asking people, hey, I don't really want you to tell anybody I'm doing this. The news gets out anyway, of course. But then when the crowds get too big, he'll offer a hard teaching or he'll teach in parables to hide his teaching from those who really aren't interested in hearing what he has to say. And then he'll tell stories about his movement that all have to do with smallness and weakness and hiddenness, like the smallest seed, right? Or a little bit of yeast, right? Or this tiny bit of treasure hidden in a vast field, right? The whole thing is veiled, his glory is veiled. Like when Paul talks about him in Philippians, right? He has equality with God and yet took the very form of a servant. He veiled himself and became obedient even unto death, right? So why Bethlehem? Why shepherds? Why Nazareth? I mean, just like the whole operation was hidden and quiet, Um. And that's what Christmas, I mean, that's the shock of, of the Christmas story. And we, you know, we've lost that entirely, of course, and made it about spectacle and finding him in the glitzy and, you know, whatever. Of course, we've done that. But so, so the fact that God hides is, I think, really well established in, in the text. And, um, and, and then the question becomes, well, why? Why do it this way? You know, and and here's where you could get easily into clicheville, and so I want to acknowledge the potential for some of these to sound like cliches, but I'm going to say them because here at the Voxology podcast we realize cliches can sometimes be true and real. 
So one reason why he hides from us, and, and again, I, I cringe a little bit, but it's so that we can hide from him. Um, one of the most fascinating things that the Bible begins with is this picture of Adam and Eve in a garden who take a bit of fruit that they weren't supposed to have, and immediately they realize they're naked, and so they cover themselves, a form of hiding. And then God, because this is the temple garden and God is dwelling there, um, they hide from God when they sense God's approach. Now, in one sense, and God asks, where are you? Now, obviously we know that God knows where they are. Obviously, we know that God exists everywhere and that, you know, there's really no way for us to hide from God. But if God didn't veil himself to some degree, it would be impossible to us for us to function as free agents, right? Hmm. I mean, no one can look upon the glory of God and live. And so, you know, even when John, this disciple that Jesus loves, gets a glimpse of Jesus in his glory, he falls face down as though dead. So there has to be some sense that God is veiled to allow human beings to have real power, real agency, real love, real autonomy in the world. That makes sense, right? <laughs> These are big. I feel like that's an entire episode on just that. What does totally. it mean that like, yeah. Yeah. Another way we hide from God in the text is uh, through rebellion, right? I mean, the the connection, um, you know, when Paul talks about things like you can quench the spirit of God, you can grieve the spirit of God, like like God hides His face when we're um, uh, mistreating each other, uh, and I don't mean that He's not seeing it, but I just mean, it, it, you know, if you're out murdering and pillaging, it's not surprising you don't feel warm and fuzzy with you know the God of justice and mercy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So so we can hide from God in all sorts of ways. And I, I've used religion. My Religion is my favorite place to hide from God. Because um, uh, I, I can keep God at you know arm's length. But immorality, bad place to hide from God because you actually are exposed to how much you need him at that point. And again, all of this can be cliche. I acknowledge it. I get it. All of this could just sound like some pumped up super, you know, like let's, hey guys, you know, Let's just, if, if God seems far away, guess who moved? I mean, that, that is asinine. What we're talking about instead is why did God actualize a universe where we can feel distance from him and feel his absence? And one of the reasons I think it is, is because he would overwhelm us otherwise and we would, and we would be robbed of what it is to bear his image. Hmm. So that's answer number one. And these aren't answers, these are clues. I mean, I don't even know, you know. Like, I'm sure there's more to say here. Clue number two. And and this one, man, again, clicheville. But you have all of these texts in the Bible that talk about the hidden purposes of God or a mystery that was hidden with God. And it was like, like God unfolds. We call it progressive revelation, but God kind of unfolds the fullness of himself over time. And there's a veiling that happens prior to like new revelation i guess i even cringe you know using that the the that phrase but like like galatians will say at just the right time jesus came 
as one born under the law. Or in Colossians, Paul will talk about a mystery kept hidden for the ages, that Christ in you, Gentiles, you know, the hope of glory. Like there's this progressive thing that that we get um, that unfolds over time, that God is slow and deliberate. And I mean, a dumb analogy would be... Um, all, the way that you would veil yourself from Shauna if you had a um, a surprise birthday party, um, mm. you had a wonderful thing coming for her, and yet um, you had to veil yourself in some ways so as to not give that away. Now, again, dumb example, but that's kind of what this is picking up that that God God veils His purposes and unfolds them over time. Okay. And and I don't know if he still does that because a lot of those, a lot of that hidden language is about the coming of Christ and how Christ came and who Christ came for. So I don't know that that's something that God still does. What I don't want people to do is to go, well, there are three answers to my prayers. God says yes, God says no, God says slow. And so, and, and I don't know. I, I don't know if that's how it works. I'm just looking at the New Testament. Seems awfully limiting. Well, I'm looking at the New Testament and saying, what hints do we get about why God operates in a veiled way, even though he's everywhere? And so there seems to be some element of time involved there. There some, seems to be element of some agent, like human agency involved there. Yes. There also seems to be some... Um, <sighs> Some desire for for par partnership, like, and, and this is going to sound cliche. I'm sorry, I'm apologizing so much, but like, um, <laughs> God, you sorry, you're apologizing. <laughs> God, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm Canadian and I'm apologizing. Um, God wants to be sought, and the reason He wants to be sought is because He wants to be partnered with. Um. So there are all of these texts, and, and Jeremiah 29 is like the big one, where God says, you're going to go into exile. For 70 years, I'm not going to talk to you. Anyone who claims to speak for me as a liar, you're to seek the good of that city. I'm not going to be speaking at all. But at the end of 70 years, because I know the plans I have for you, if you seek me, you will find me with all of your heart. Or even when Jesus, in talking about you know, prayer says, ask and seek and knock. Like he veils himself to provoke agency and participation from us. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. when, when, when God is fighting a battle for his people and says to Moses, hey, Moses, make sure your arms are lifted because when they're lifted, we'll be winning. And when they're not, we'll be losing. God obviously does not need Moses, you know, to do anything. But that whole picture is a picture of God veiling his power so that Moses can participate in the project. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then lastly, um, I uh, my wife just said, text or call us. All right, so hold on a second. Ladies and gentlemen, this is real. This is staying in here. <laughs> Hi, you're, uh, we're, we're recording, so this is going to go out on the internet. Say nice things. Go ahead. Are you kidding me right now? I'm not kidding you right now. Uh, I have RSV. We both have science infections. His RSV has probably cleared itself up. You both have RSV? Yeah. 
Well, no, his was not positive. She said he probably his probably ran its course. Okay, what do you have? RSV and sinus infection. Awesome. I I want you to know that our audience will hear that and respect that and pray for you. I I appreciate that. So if you want to say that, hi everybody on the podcast. Hi buddy. Hi everybody. Hi. Uh, also, Justy, is that rash clearing up? Did you get any cream for that? Right now, I don't have a rash. You're terrible. <laughs> okay. If you want to keep that in, great. It's fine. I don't know if, if they could hear anything. All right. Now this one, man, this one, this is the one I struggle with right here. Those other ones kind of on an intellectual level, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense, right? But they I mean, restructure a lot. I, well, that's the they do. That's the thing. Well, think about think about how you have to veil yourself from your kids to allow them to mature. Right? Yeah, so that's a good entry point, but then you start extrapolating it out to uh not two human beings veiling, but a spiritual entity that's capable of creating a universe veiling to us but then still requesting or or wanting desiring that partnership right it's just a really the more you start to pull the threads on it it starts to like well this provokes larger questions oh of course which is again where the national park thing where it's like we really do want the um we preach with the pamphlets yeah we want the pamphlets we want the flyers because the actual park itself is overwhelming and, mis- and right. mysterious right. and confusing. Right. And- but let's talk about you and Mazzy. Okay. All right. Surprise uh, she hasn't come down yet. Yeah, I know. I'm shocked because you're <laughs> soloing today. So Mazzy, Mazzy, I mean, she might be like, if Seth is a stick of joyful dynamite in the world, Mazzy is a stick of joyful chaos in the world. <laughs> Would you agree with that? Yeah. She is she is just marvelous. But think about how you have to veil yourself with her. You veil you you veil knowledge from her, like think things she wants to know but she's not ready for. And that's normal, right? You're not being mean when you do that. It's like, right. hey, you're not ready to hear this yet. Like my kids now are are getting to know me and my weaknesses and my mistakes as a human being far <clears throat> beyond the role of dad that I played prior to that. Right. But I veiled that part. I have to veil my power so that they can do things themselves even if they fail doing them. Right? I have to veil my knowledge because I could solve problems, but it's it's worth it for them. So there is something about in relationship. When you're in relationship and there's a power imbalance, that that veiling can be an act of love and and push kind of towards maturity. Totally. I see it in the classroom. Like I <clears throat> students, it's been documented that people don't learn in lecture halls. Yes. Which uh, is what... But they learn in conversation and, and that kind of stuff. So in the classroom, they always want to know what my opinion is, but all I do is ask questions to provoke them to yes. pursue yes. the truth. Yes. And to yes. know why and they gather evidence along the way. So I see it in that respect. Like I I see the value in, you know, yeah. offering tidbits to help provoke a pursuant spirit within the other right <laughs> such vague terms i know seriously totally. <laughs> so so let's let's play with this just a little more yeah and again i i'm i'm test driving this stuff i'm not you know th- this is stuff 
that I've thought about for a long time. And I don't know how I feel about it. But it, it at this point, it rings true. And it seems to fit into some of the texts, you know, that are problematic. Why does God come in a veiled, hidden sort of way? And and the answer, well, in one sense, he's not hidden. I mean, you look outside and you're like, man, the heavens declare the glory of God. And in another sense, you get this intimacy with God and you're promised intimacy with God. And then you just don't have that. Now, either we're defining it wrong, we're doing it wrong. God doesn't do it the way we're taught. I don't know. But I want to present the idea that this is a really normal part of Christian experience and that there's nothing nothing to be worried about. Our mutual friend had a great line. I asked him um, over the summer, I asked him, hey, how he'd been growing. And he, he, we, he ended up giving an answer and then he emailed me with a fuller answer later. And the fuller answer was, I don't, I'm tired of feeling like I have to be growing. I just want to be okay being okay. I thought that was a really sort of, you know, profound answer that that if you're in a in a, a place where it's just dry and it's dust and it's whatever, that it's okay being okay there. Like there's we don't have to carry that as guilt or, you know, shame or or something. Um, but this last one, I don't know. I, I think there's something to it, but the ancients called it the dark night of the soul. Brueggemann calls it disorientation. Every spiritual, like, like, um, there are people that have stages of spiritual growth. Like we've, I've, we've talked about Scott Peck. Someone emailed this week, a Brian McLaren has one, mm-hmm. uh, but they've been around forever and ever. And each one of them includes a phase that the ancients called desolation um, or the dark night. That that in relationships, a necessary part of the relationship is growing beyond being in love with the relationship to being in love with the person Mm. with whom you're in the relationship with. Um, I don't know if that grammatically made any sense. Again, see RSV comments. Um. And so the dark, the ancient, the way the ancients would portray this as God offers new converts something called consolation, and it's the honeymoon phase. It's, and I, I remember this. It's like the Bible. I could not get enough of it. Like God was real, and I saw Him everywhere, and He was moving and active, and I just saw, oh, you know, and worship, dude. I could just pour my heart out, and I mean. And, and, and then there's this period of, oh, what was I doing? That, was that just euphoria? Was that just dopamine? Was that just the same feeling I'd get at a Pearl Jam concert, you know? And, um, and so the ancients thought that what God does, and they, they get this primarily from Psalms and Lamentations and some of David's life, is that God sometimes will introduce felt absence so that you would actually choose to pursue him rather than the gifts that he gives. And it's kind of like a marriage relationship. I mean, I've often thought, hey, wouldn't it be great if you stayed in the honeymoon phase for 30 years? But what's the downside of staying in the honeymoon phase? In the honeymoon phase, you don't really love each other. You love the feeling of each other. Do you know what I mean? 
You don't mm-hmm. know each other. Like I love my wife so differently now that I've now that I've seen who she really is and who I really am and the ways in which we hurt and anger and frustrate each other and help and bless each other. My choice of yes is is not based at all on euphoria. It's based right. now on something much more significant. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so to mature in Christ in faith, one of the ideas is that we go through periods where faith isn't rewarded with the feelings that we want. And so faith instead has to stand on its own two legs as faith, regardless of how we're feeling. And a lot of the way evangelicals portray um, intimacy with God is emotional. Yeah. And so we, we, we're... We're constantly running on emotional highs. And in this way of understanding it would be that's dangerous. That's not, that's not, that's trying to live in the honeymoon phase and not actually maturing into something that's deeper and truer, which is reorientation, having walked through the pit. It's like drug addiction. Like when you learn in health class, like what your how your body spikes in reaction to taking drugs withdrawal, right? So you peak. And then the valley is a little bit, the baseline is a little bit lower. And then you peak again to get above the baseline. Then you drop a little lower and then so on and so forth to the point where you all, at, after a while, you're just trying to mediate the baseline. And I see that in what you're saying with the church too, is like we, because a lot of these words that you use, like at the very beginning, you said, you know, the Lord, God, will, Jesus will not forsake you. Yeah. So that's a line that we hear a lot in the church. Yes. Um, well, that's from Jesus, but yes. Right. But I know, but the way it's used in the church of like, um, he'll always make you the, feel good. Yeah. Or he'll like to the person who's dying in the hospital bed right now. Right. They, in the way that that phrase is used in the church, they are, they are, they feel forsaken. They don't feel God's anything yeah. around them. They yeah. just feel despair and fear of death and, um, and pain and hurt and all those kind of things. That is a, those are all very forsaken spaces. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, how do you take all the stuff that you're just saying? Because they're like, you keep prefacing with cliche and, or you could use rhetoric or something like that to say, these are phrases that we we all know and have heard. And that's why they become cliches. Right. However, they come from a nugget of <coughs> truth. That, yes. You know, so it's like, even the last thing you were just talking about, like that can be very encouraging, except if we're in if we're in spaces that are still teaching us yes those words like yes. it's like we need to do a grammar lesson like a vocab exactly. lesson on that that's so so here's the difference you'll hear these words in orientation differently than you'll hear them in disorientation or reorientation right right so in orientation oh yeah of course they're like super formulaic cliche yes and again that's not bad that's part of orientation or consolation is but it like, can be bad if that if if a church is capping at orientation that's it and trying to mainline just that yeah that's right that's and then why sometimes there's a disorientation they're like holy crap god has forsaken me right i'm like spinning out here in the wilderness and nobody wants to come with me or help me that's right so that's why these aren't answers they're clues maybe because yeah. the ultimate the ultimate calculus of why God does what God does is is beyond us. 
Yes. All we could do is guess. Important distinction. Yeah. yeah, it really is. And I think these are solid guesses as to why God isn't like blazingly obvious all of our lives. That yeah. makes sense to me. Um, and 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 it does. Then it then it percolates down to me individually. Percolates or percolates down to me individually <laughs> about my felt experience with God. Sometimes I feel close. Sometimes I feel absent. I've learned to not trust the feeling part of that whole equation. Mm. Um, in the same way, I don't trust the feeling part of of my marriage. Right? Because if my marriage were solely based on being infatuated with my spouse after twenty three years. There, that's not happening a lot, yeah. right? What happens a lot is enjoyment, irritation, <laughs> right? Frustration, uh, silence. I mean, and and the stubborn commitment to love in spite of those things. And yeah. and so, what if faith is loyalty, which is something we've talked about before? Yeah. then loyalty has to go far beyond what mood I'm in that, that day. And that's why right. so much of this drip of orientation, every service needs in in a pretty red bow. Christmas is just so sentimental and wonderful. And all of that is toxic. Um, and because we, we're dealing with a God who does veil, veil himself, a God who does disappoint people, a God who allows people to be disoriented. And no one's prepared for that. And so we get shipwrecked. On the idea that there's yeah. something wrong with me, or there's something wrong with God, or there's something wrong with the faith I have, and that's that's ignoring the very biblical idea that this is a normal part of the whole experience, and that the orientation, the euphoria that we were sold as what Christianity is, is only the beginning part. In the same way, that that's only the beginning part of what marriage is. Because that's exactly what it is. That is exactly how you just said that. Like it is orientation is sold as what it means to be a Christian. And when somebody starts to enter into disorientation, oftentimes there's no space or room for them. That's right. That's right. Man, it'd be really interesting to have churches that were built with like, we have a pastor of orientation, a pastor of disorientation, a pastor of reorientation, and everything is like hand in hand with each other. Yeah. So there's there's like a process that's of like funny. this new believer that's like just come in and they're they're full of wonder and awe and are are just trying to learn some basic tenets of things and they have that emotional thing because this is new and fresh and they feel like they're a part of what blah blah blah. Yep. But knowing that disorientation is down the road. That's right. And that reorientation is down the road. And those things are not mutually exclusive nor are they nor do they uh cancel out the one before them That's right. or exactly. whatever like it'd be really f- fun not maybe not fun but it would be really interesting to see a church that was built or churches built in that way that w- try to walk people through all of those knowing that they're safe within each of them dude all of them are purposeful and real and healthy yes. and well think about it oh that's so good tim that's so good because i'm thinking immediately about marriage counseling so um marriage counseling is uh, imagine if you only did marriage counseling uh, by people who were married three years or less. Right. So here's... Or not at all. Right, exactly. You'd be like, no, you, you, would, need, you would need people who've, who are so safe, they can bless the euphoria you're in. And you're telling them, you're, here, this is where you guys are going to struggle. And the premarital couple's like, oh, no, we love each other. It'll be fine. Right. And you know, you know they're idiots. You know it's going to be <laughs> difficult. 
and totally. but you can still rejoice in that, right? Yeah. But you're preparing yeah. them. The train wreck is coming. And when the train wreck comes and you wake up next to your spouse and realize, oh, I married the wrong person, we're here for that too. Yeah. You know, and then you fight through that space and you realize, oh, there is no right person. The problem is me. Yeah. <laughs> right? Then we're there for that space too. I mean, that, that is exactly what we ought to be doing for the life of faith. I mean, that's so powerful. And then that couple at that point, when they're in the reorientation, likely can help a new couple in the orientation. Totally. 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 All right. I'm tired. (laughs) I have about 90 more questions, though. I know. You're the best. You really are. My, my, uh, My brain... It's shrinking. I just, but, but I didn't want to leave the um, this topic without, because that's one, I don't know, that's one I've never really heard talked about much. And I don't know. It just it felt feels like, like the church is in a season of disorientation. And, you know, we were texting yesterday about scuffles on Twitter yeah. and, um, some of these organizations that are kind of grasping at straws now to hold their yeah. relevancy and their dominance in the theological world. Yeah. And you just see, like when you were talking about being hopeful, like I hopeful about the church, I am very hopeful with a lot of the younger generation. And we've talked about this a lot, but there is a hunger within a lot of the younger generation for transparency and humility. And they're not interested in the lights and the fog they really want to they will they want to be seen and heard and they want to see and hear yeah and so that gives me a lot of hope because i see them as like yep. just kind of cutting through the bs and being like i'm not interested in your grandstanding i'm interested in why why did you decide that you want to advocate for god yeah show me yeah tell me let me and then I mean, maybe i want to be an advocate i don't know you know what i mean like there's just this yeah. kind of drumming up within the younger generations that Obviously, that's not across the board, but yeah, that gives me hope for yes the future of all this. I I also think old people, the right old people are are I, I'm seeing because I mean I I talk to younger pastors on a regular basis, and they all say they're looking for spiritual parents. Yeah, and and so there I've are been looking forever. <laughs> what's that? <laughs> We just had a conversation in therapy about like how for how many years I kept trying. I'd work for churches and stuff, trying to find a mentor. I, I was just so hungry for an older person to speak into me, and could never get one. Yeah, it was just why is that so hard? Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. But you know what's interesting? You you had just real short. You had a good conversation, Holy Post, this last week um, about a podcast about a podcast with a rabbi, and one of the conversation points that she brought up, I think, was about um generational responses to israel oh yeah so the older generation seeing israel as a smaller um weaker in need bullied country and then the younger generation has only known them as a dominant military force and so both of those are true right uh, but the generations are fighting over who has the absolute truth within that that's right and so that's as a metaphor for this conversation like there is there is a zeal and a truth to the younger generation that needs to be acknowledged and seen and heard 
but there is a zeal and a truth and a and a like a weathered yes understanding of the world that the older generation has that also needs to be seen and heard and held. That's right. And those two things should not be. They're not. They're two sides of a of a coin, or, or so I'm not, I'm looking for the I'm no. You got for it. it. No, it's like, exactly, exactly. We right. need to have yes. those generational bridges, those hands kind of holding over this stuff because there is wisdom in the older generation, but there is a hunger for truth and things in the younger generation. Right. And those two things should not be at war with each other. Correct. Because the healthiest spiritual parents recognize we bless orientation. We bless disorientation, we bless yeah. reorientation, and then we do it again. Yep. Right? <laughs> Forever. It's all okay. And um, yeah, man, there's something there. There's been a lot of study, and I'm just now getting into how churches can replicate, for better or worse, family systems. Yeah. And, and so churches have this great opportunity to reparent um parents and kids or to continue to facilitate harm and trauma and i don't know i don't know enough to say anything more than that except to go yeah. oh man i think there's something there something to chew on yeah speaking of something to chew on ladies and gentlemen we're out we're Audi 3000 um tim on behalf of tim's intestines <laughs> On behalf of my lungs and now my wife, her lungs and sinuses, we bless you and we pray for your continued health. Thank you for allowing us to be a small part of your day today. We love it. See ya. <laughs>